One, two, three. I think we did it, right? <laughs> it went too fast. <laughs> right, let's try again. All right, one more time? Yep. Okay. One, two, three. Right, we were good there. I think we're good. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll match it. It's fine. Um, all right, so hi, everyone. Um, this is Bootstrapping SaaS, episode 42. And today with me, I have Lewis Nichols, who I've had him uh, on the show before. Uh, Louis is, is an expert on uh, sales for SaaS companies. And maybe, Louis, you can tell us what you're doing these days instead of me introducing you. Yeah, happy to do it and happy to be here again. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I do three things at the moment. So number one, I teach very early stage founders how to do just enough sales to go from basically nothing all the way up to about 10K in, in MRR. Then I also run a small SaaS business with a friend, which is called Sparkloop. And that is a referral tool for newsletters. So if you run a newsletter and you want to grow your audience by word of mouth, then you can use our tool to make that happen much faster. And I also do some some consulting around uh, social proof. So conversion rate optimization, uh, boring marketing stuff, basically. All right, cool, man. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, all those things that we were very curious about, me and other people that are listening on the show. So maybe we can touch on that uh, during the show later. Uh, but first, I wanted to, I mean, the reason why we're having this episode is actually uh, about a conversation. I don't want to say an argument because I don't know if it was or if, it, if it, you know, it's okay if it was. But I had, I, had, um, I had tweeted something and this was more out of frustration in a way that you know, trying with uh, different products for a long time. As a bootstrap founder, uh, somebody working solo, uh, bootstrapping and funding everything that has to do with the idea. So I came to sort of a frustrated conclusion uh, and, then, and then I said something along these lines. So I said, if you don't want an indie bootstrapper to succeed, you tell them these things. So in other words, you don't tell them these. So scratch your own itch, that's the first one, and then build it and they will come, which is horrible. And then ideas are nothing, execution is everything. Mm. Um, so I said that as a bad thing. Uh, and then I think that's where we got into talking about like what, what an idea is. And then Lewis, uh, I'll just have update everybody what the discussion was. I'll post the tweet on the show notes as well. But then Lewis said, so number one is often bad advice. And that was the scratch your own itch part. But there are definitely situations where it is a good advice. And then Lewis said, Number three is only bad advice because you should completely remove the word idea from your vocabulary when talking to new founders. It isn't idea or execution. There's only execution. So maybe we can touch on the first one. Um, uh, scratch your, your own itch. Like I've always done that. And it's been kind of sort of, uh, I've always had like mixed results. I've never gone into an idea uh, that I had nothing to do with and I just, maybe saw the market going towards that. And I said, oh, well, let me just build another, I don't know, hosting platform that does X or Y because I don't like hosting. So I always did something that I liked and I saw like a, a need. So what do you, like, how do you think about that? Like, is it is it like a terrible idea? Do you have any examples where it's a good idea or what cases would it be a good idea? Yeah, interesting. So. I think the point I was trying to make there, and maybe to step back a bit, is just to say, you know, when I think about starting a new business, uh, bootstrapping a business, then 
I really think about it now in terms of reducing risk, right? So I'm not talking about what's best for me personally, which is maybe how I would have thought about this a year or two ago. I'm thinking, you know, looking at the couple of hundred founders that I've seen go through the Sales for Founders course and what they've struggled with, just in general for a, a, a general founder, what is most important? And that seems to me to be, you know, how can we reduce risk for that person, not for an ideal founder somewhere off in, in fantasy land, right? So we're not talking about the perfect mm-hmm. founder. We're talking about just some real person on the ground who is who is not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the reason that I said, you know, scratch your own itch is, is normally or is often not great advice because if you can, it's obviously better to go out and to find uh, an audience uh, that you can help, that you can provide real value for, uh, discover what that value is and build a business around providing that value, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you have the ability to do that, then that is obviously the best way to go instead of scratching your own itch. That said, I have kind of unfortunately come to the conclusion, uh, you know, talking to a lot of founders, that there are some people, some founders, who just can't care enough about their potential customers, or they're just unwilling to do the work involved to get out there and talk to people, which means the chance of them discovering an audience, getting to know them well enough to understand their pains and what value they can provide, and then actually learning how to to sell or how to market to these people mm-hmm. is basically zero. Not for everybody, maybe not, you know, hopefully not even for the majority of, of founders, but there's a definitely a, a, a significant minority, you know, somewhere between five and 10% of, uh, of, of potential founders, maybe even more, who just because of their personality, probably because of how they've been, been raised maybe, or I don't know what, uh, they basically it is not possible for them <laughs> to to do the stuff that you would need to do to go and uh, and discover mm-hmm. a, a valuable or a viable business somewhere else and in that case you have to say okay well if they can't go and do what they need to do to discover that uh, that value to discover that audience somewhere else by for example doing sales or customer discovery uh, you know what is the least or the, the next least risky way for them of uh, starting a business and Normally, that is with them just scratching their own itch because, you know, if they're scratching their own itch, they don't need to talk to other people as much because they understand the pain, right? They don't need to get that from other people. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They will already, to a certain extent, understand how to sell and how to market the product and also who they need to sell and market it to because they are those people. So it doesn't work all the time and it's definitely not ideal. But there is definitely, in my mind, a, a group of or a class of founders who, because they basically are, uh, you know, personality wise, just not suited to caring about other people. Basically, uh, mm-hmm. the best thing for them to do is to to focus on, on you know, something that they can solve themselves for themselves. And the chances of succeeding are definitely lower, I guess, in that sense. Right. Would it be like, would you say instead of going out and really discovering a product or or a, a problem? And then trying to solve it, like the chances would be that the le- uh, you know the the scratch your own itch part, like that could be like much riskier to succeed. Would you say that? I think again, it really depends on the person, right? Because there are probably mm-hmm. some people, maybe working at kind of mid-sized software companies, who have such a great kind of plethora of different 
uh, itches that they could scratch for themselves, right? Because they are hmm, they are the yeah. exact perfect customer in a sense, right? So in mm, that case, mm. it's not necessarily a bad thing. But most of us aren't in that kind of situation, and most people who are mm-hmm. in that situation, you know, they discover that itch first and then think about starting a business. You know, they don't even go out and try and find other opportunities. Right. Right. They're not. They're coming at itch first and then oh, oops, this is a product, as opposed to trying to find something failing and then going back True. to scratch their own itch. Yeah. That's yeah, my and I think like yeah. Sometimes I think uh, people that might go into the scratch your own itch direction, which I fall into mostly, are usually people that are makers, like they can code and, and do the thing, while the ones going after discovering an idea, which I think has a bigger chance, discovering a problem has a bigger chance of succeeding, is somebody that's like a salesperson, a business person, an entrepreneur in the in the classical sort of um uh, description of, of what an entrepreneur does. I think those sort of two different types of people go in those directions. Like that's that's sort of my my thought about it. Like is that sort of your experience as you're working in your course? Like are, is that sort of pattern repeating at all? Yeah, and just to be clear, you know, I would see scratching your own itch in most cases is is almost a, a failure to be able to do sales. You know, it's very unlikely uh, to be you'd want to, that you'd want to scratch your own itch per se right if if it is something that you have an experience with a problem that you have then you can also you know it should be pretty easy for you to find a couple of other people who have that pain and and then handle it basically as if it were someone else's pain right so you're not mm-hmm, just working mm-hmm. by yourself uh that said I, I totally agree i think if you look at who this works well for it's someone who has the same profile as an ideal customer profile, right? So they should be in a position mm-hmm. really where they have, you know, you want someone who has, who is time poor and cash rich probably, you know, so mm-hmm. who's making at least 10, 20, $30,000 a month or is in a job role where they have the authority to spend 10, 20, $30,000 a month, right? Uh, because if you're a maker, then the chances are that your priorities are around saving yourself money. <laughs> you know, you have a, right. a very little budget. Uh, you have a lot of time available. And whatever you would build yourself will be scratching an itch that other people have who are like you. And those other people won't have very much money. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's not great, right? But if you are, let's say, a highly paid software engineer um, or a product owner or something like that uh, at a decent sized company then you have kind of all the makings of <laughs> of being a great customer so why not be your own customer yeah true true no yeah definitely agree um i mean it's good talking to you about this since you have a lot of experience with founders from your courses and i can only talk about the friends friend founders that i have you know and i have a mix of both i have uh friends who are doing products that are coming from the sort of developer designer maker type of profile and I have those who come from a marketing and sales and they can't do code and I notice this pattern with each group you know and then I have a mix of both where you know I sort of lean towards myself I lean towards more as a maker sort of scratch your own niche and maybe my tweet maybe not even maybe like most of it was like frustration like I can't keep doing I can't keep scratching my own itch. Like nobody scratches the same way, you know, that type of thing. Like not everybody has an itch. I mean, if I have it, 
maybe I have a problem, but nobody else has it. So it's good to hear that, you know, from from sort of different sources. And uh, one one sort of coming to the third point where I think we disagreed mostly on on Twitter. Um, I'm looking at some of the founders that have succeeded. And what I call success in our sort of area is bootstrappers that are working on their own or maybe with a founder and they've crossed maybe 5K, they're into 10K and they're just growing to like 20, 30, 40, 50. And usually I find, you know, like they're, it wasn't that hard. Like they stumbled upon something that really kicked off. And one of one of the I don't know if I should mention his name. Like I have a I have a founder friend who's now crossing I think six seven thousand k, and hearing him talk about that product, he's like, I tried so many things before that, I worked so hard, nothing worked. And this one, I sort of started working on it. I got a few clients. It was easy to make. I did it over a weekend. Then maybe I improved it once in a while, but it was so much easier to, to make and sell. And then that's my third point. You know, like let me go back to repeating it ideas are nothing execution is everything which i meant not like ideas or something like stumbling upon idea and i think that's where we disagreed at which you said you know remove the word idea from vocabulary it is an idea or execution there's only execution i really want to hear elab hear you elaborate on that a little bit more like i want to really know where you're coming from yeah brilliant and i think where would I'm not sure how far we disagree here, right? So I think mm -hmm. when we talk about this, my point is less about what is actually happening and more because the way you phrased it was specifically, you tell them these, like if you don't want an indie bootstrapper to mm -hmm. succeed, you tell them these things, right? So we're not talking about, uh, in my opinion at least, you know, th this, this conversation isn't about what is actually happening if you were an alien to come down to earth and you had to write a, right. a report right on on, on bootstrapping that's <laughs> that's not what this is about this True. is about what is a good thing for uh, someone who is giving advice to founders to, to like what is good advice for them to give right so the the yeah. semantics and the phrasing of this is important it's we're talking almost so actually that, that brings me on to the example that i wanted to give which uh, i think encapsulates it pretty well so it's possible for something to be correct, but not to be useful advice, right? And the example that I love mm -hmm. to give when it comes to that is uh, I used to swim pretty professionally, like at a pr pretty high level. And I used to okay. coach uh, Olympians as well. So Olympic swimming coaches for a free year or two, uh, Olympic swimming, uh, swimmers for a year oh. or two, sorry. So one thing that if you watch someone who couldn't swim themselves necessarily you know maybe they could you know they're not going to drown but they're def definitely no professional swimming background and those are the kind of people you know the parents and the grandparents who teach little kids how to swim right <laughs> they don't have to be professionals to teach little kids how to swim and what they do is they watch how <laughs> other people professionals are swimming they look at what they're doing and then they tell their swimmers to replicate those movements with their arms and with their legs right so they're well, saying this is what I can see that person is doing, that good swimmer. So you should do exactly the same thing as I can see. And that's what they're saying to the young kid who's learning how to swim, right? Right. And in that case, normally they'll say, you have to move your arms like this and your legs like this. And what actually, uh, so they'll say, you know, you have to put your arm into the water and pull as hard as you can with your arm, for example. Mm -hmm. But what a, a real kind of professional swimming coach will say if if you you know you talk to someone who really understands it very well or who used to be a, a good swimmer themselves 
is to say, yes, what is actually happening is that your arm is pulling through the water, obviously. But the way you should think about it is you should never think your arm is pulling through the water. You should think your hand is anchored in the water, almost like you're holding on to something rock hard, and you're mm -hmm. pulling your body past your hand, right? Uh, not because it's any different, looks exactly the same, but by thinking right. of it that way, as your, as your body moving and your hand staying still, as opposed to your body staying still and your hand moving, it means that you pull more water and you go a lot faster. So what I'm saying is not that an idea isn't important or that ideas are less important than execution. I'm saying that talking about ideas at all is just not helpful because it makes you go slower, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I agree. And also I agree about I, I played basketball when I was younger. Like, you know, uh, one of the reasons I went to the States was basketball and all my life was surrounding around that. So I totally understand when you're saying how a professional conveys an idea, like what it actually means. Like it's basically the same thing, but just thinking about it differently, it just makes a whole lot of difference. And, you know, when you talk about execution, the way I thought about it when I read your tweet, I my thinking was, okay, you, you basically take any SaaS out there, and if you do A, B, C, D correctly, you're going to succeed. Um, would you agree with that at, at, to some extent? I, like, I, I don't expect it to be like fully ag ag agreeable like from you, but would you, could you take something like that, like, regardless of how, how hard it is to do that? Like, do you think that it is possible to get to a point if you do some things right? I, I don't quite understand the question. Sorry. Can, oh, can you, sure. Like, give yes. me the, the, I'll, the I'll basis go ahead. again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, Here's a, so you have a, you have, a, there's a product, mm -hmm. there's a SaaS product that is doing okay. And then you come on and you say, hey, uh, listen, we're going to do A, B, C, and D this way. And then we're going to succeed. Do you think there's a way to succeed like that? Um, from my, like, from my understanding, that is possible, but you would need like a lot of resources, a lot of time, maybe a few people, money to really push for that. And I, I think that is possible. But do you think even like a bootstrapper on their own or maybe like a, a two-founder bootstrap SaaS, if they do certain things right, they can still succeed with their idea, which might be something that already exists in the, in the market or something that's maybe not solving a really excruciating pain? Like, do you think if you do certain steps right, there's a way to succeed? So, does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's just difficult for me because when I when I think of this, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking at the the. So I, I I think about it very much in terms of the audience and the the size of the the pain or the size of the the kind of the the value opportunity that is available for that audience, right? So basically, mm -hmm. I think about it in terms of who am I selling this to? Are there enough of them? Can I reach them? Do I have some way of getting in front of them? Do I know? Do I understand them? Right. So that's mm -hmm. one part of it, de-risking it. And then the second part is, uh, do they have enough money to, to pay me something, firstly, right? Like right. pay me something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, B2B really, you know, ideally, do they have at least $100 a month that they're willing to spend? And secondly, is there something there? And it doesn't have to be a problem, but some pain or some black box, whereby if I go in and I do something there, I can create 
if I want to charge $100, I can create $500 or $1,000 of value for them each month, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. So I'm, I'm not really thinking about problems. I'm definitely not thinking about ideas. Um, what I'm thinking about is the audience and kind of the, the value opportunity. And uh, because of that, I think, you know, if the audience is right and the value opportunity is right, then you can definitely, you know, execute your way to, I don't know what size business, but I would say definitely ten, twenty thousand dollars a month in, 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 you know, recurring revenue mm-hmm. without having to shift. Now, execution becomes difficult, obviously, because when I think of execution, I think of, for me, execution is working out how to provide that, like how to provide the provide and capture the, the the largest amount of that value opportunity for that audience right which mm-hmm. if you have an idea as a fixed point you would then probably say oh well you're not executing anymore you're just doing you, you know you've pivoted to a different idea but because i don't even have an idea in my mind you know all i'm caring about is is customer value right i don't care about mm-hmm. some idea there is no idea the idea is provide as much value to this customer as i can and capture some of it as well for me, obviously. So yeah, I think yeah. I think that brings us to uh, something. Uh, let me just find that tweet. Um, does Does that make sense to you? Do you agree with that, or do you it think it does? Yeah. It does. I think I think one one thing I'm not understanding completely when you're talking about uh, the idea is what do you mean by idea? Like, or because when I'm talking about idea, like it's sometimes language is like poor, and times are changing so fast that things change. Um, quite quickly, but when I'm thinking of an idea, I'm thinking of uh, a problem-solution type of thing. Like those together for me are an idea. Like that's sort of me simplifying my brain, simplifying that and saying, okay, so this is the idea. Let's let's execute that. Like that's what I mean. Like what what is your sort of take? Like that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, that's brilliant. This is something I was thinking about and looking at. I don't know if you saw. So ConvertKit is a, a company that traditionally mm-hmm. has been about uh, creating value for customers by uh, helping them to deliver emails, right? So it's it's kind of an email mm-hmm. service provider, or it has been originally. They have landing pages and stuff now as well. Uh, so I guess you would say that the way that they create value for customers, if you want to do it in your way, the idea, I guess the prob- the problem is sending emails is, is tricky or something, or you know how to send your customers emails. I, I don't know, maybe you can phrase it for me better, but that seems mm-hmm. to be the problem. Okay. And the solution, you know, their solution, that idea was, I don't know, some, <laughs> uh, a good email sending platform that works for, you know, I, I, what would you say that, I don't know if you, if you don't want to put you on the spot, but what would you say their kind of pain and uh, sorry, their, their problem and, and solution or idea was? Yeah, it's very tricky, man. Uh, it's one of those cases when the founder is like super famous and then he writes a cold email to another influencer and they're like, oh yeah, we'll jump on, you know, we'll be the first customer. So it's very tricky. I guess the pain they were solving um, where they found the room was that MailChimp wasn't really supporting a niche. Like in MailChimp, you can't even talk to somebody. You have to get on the app. You have to write an email. They'll write back to you like a day or two later. And if you're a blogger, maybe just starting out or you have like a couple of thousand people, you want to get something done quickly. And I think they, their sort of solution was more of a customer support onboarding type of thing where they help people one-on-one and they got like a big market share and now they're riding that wave. Like that's what I think about Convert, ConvertKit in a way. Like I don't think it was a, 
it, I don't think it was such a big pain that you know needed to be solved by someone someone else. But they just did it differently. I think. I don't know. Right. So I, I'm what I'm trying to get at is I, I don't understand. You know, if there is an idea behind the convert okay. product, I, I don't know what that would be. Maybe that is like obviously up until now it has been around emailing, right? Right. So yeah. if you think about problems and ideas, then what you're focusing on is like you would say, okay, well, I think on July the fifteenth. ConvertKit are opening up basically a way to, uh, like a, a version of Gumroad. So a way right. to take payments for digital products, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is definitely not, I think it'd be a stretch to say that is the same idea. I think it's a stretch to say it's a solution to the same problem. It, you know, it, it's, right. it's definitely, a, it, it's a different way of providing your customers with more value. It's the same mm -hmm. audience providing more value to them, but it's definitely not something to do with the same problem hmm, solution see, idea right and so what i'm saying mm -hmm. is if you focus on the idea and the problem and think about it in that way then what you end up with is just some pretty decent probably really good way of sending emails and that's mm -hmm. okay but if convertkit comes along and says hey we have a way of sending emails that's nearly as good but not quite but by the way you can also sell your products through us then everyone goes to convertkit could the person who's trying to solve the problem and has an idea always gets beaten by the person who's focused on customer value? Oh, I see what you're saying. I see. I think I, I get it. Uh, I'm sort of, as you're talking, I am thinking about my product and I'm thinking about my service business, which I've done forever, the consultancy. Mm -hmm. And that business I've run more. This is funny. This is actually quite, uh, it's like almost like an epiphany for me. That business I ran I still do like I still do consultancy and that was more about value. So I did like websites and uh, app development, etc. And then whenever the client like showed me or they mentioned a problem, I would say, oh, OK, so we can do that, too. You know, we can host your website and give you 20 emails. You don't have to pay Gmail five per email. And then went to other clients, did the same thing. And then they said, oh, yeah, that's very cool. You can do that in house. And then, oh, you guys need a logo. Yeah, we can provide the two and they would be happy. So that's that's the way you're thinking about, like providing value constantly, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think you have to be, it's a good example, you know, coming from that um, yeah, uh, from consulting, service, yes. freelancing side of things, services, yeah. I, I think you obviously have to be careful, right, with a product. You, you want to still be providing value for the same audience and you don't mm -hmm. want to do everything that would provide them value, right? You want to find one way of providing them value that's good. Uh, optimize that and then add in others or I guess you would say or a lot of founders would say pivot I would say just you know find your path find your way to some mm. other way of creating like if there is a better way to create value for them that is more efficient than that they are willing to pay more money for then mm -hmm. me as a founder with my job being to create the most value for, for customers that I can it's kind of my job to go and do that as opposed to it being my job to build the best way of providing inferior value uh, that I was before, right? Yeah, yeah, makes total total sense. Uh, you know, like the way I'm I'm realizing about my app, so Claritask. You know, I think I think I thought more of it as an idea up to this point, more of as as a all right. So you do tasks, but you do better. You know, like you do something better in the app where you manage your tasks. But if I switch that. And I think, hey, you know, if I talk to clients, which I did to the, you know, to some extent, but never thought it like this, like, hey, how how can I help you? Maybe you know, uh, 
have more output from your team? You know, like, what would that look like? Like, do you receive a, uh, an Excel sheet every night before you go to sleep because that makes you happy, it gives more value to your way you organize your life? Then, yeah, let's do that, you know? I'm, I'm exaggerating here, by the way. Just, you know, you would have, like, a bloated product, but I think thinking that way, there's, uh, it, it automatically makes me, um, what's the word? It makes me more uh, eager to really solve something of value rather than oh so i'm done with tasks you know you can check the button here and it goes into your completed tasks page and you're done like that that is even boring you know like if you think i'm glad i asked you this question actually because i really wanted to know what you think of the idea like why you're why you're hating that word so much and now i know what you think about it you know so it's always good to like get on am i getting you right am i like, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. so. I think you know there. There. Are th- you know, I, I teach in the sales of finance. I, I teach. You know, I talk about in the sales of finance course. I don't sure. teach. Um, we talk about like they're basically customer focusing on customer value, not problems mm-hmm. or ideas or solutions, uh, as being really important because they're like like you said. There are th- like I think there are three main reasons, right? So you touched on one of them there, which was just that by focusing on the customer value, you stumble across. You know, you're always thinking, how can I improve this product? in a way that creates more value for my customer, which allows me to charge more, right? And which which is great because you, you make more money and you're providing more value. But there are two other things that are really great about focusing on, on customer value instead of problems uh, as well. And one of them is just obviously, if you're focusing on customer value, that means you're talking to customers. That means that you really understand how to market and how to sell to these people, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're thinking about customer value, that's what's driving you all of your marketing, all of your sales, everything will be based on customer value, which is why people are buying, as opposed to features and benefits of your product and why it's so great at solving this problem, right? So you make more money because of that and it's marketing and sales is much easier because of that. And then the last thing, which is really, really important in the early days, and I think a lot of founders underestimate, is just um, motivation. So starting a business is very, very hard. Starting a SaaS business is... 10 times harder than that yet. It's, you know, it's one of the hardest things you can do other than starting a, a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ridiculously hard and you have to find some source of motivation for yourself, right? So most, a lot of technical founders, especially, will get their source of motivation from solving this problem, which is fine, but when people aren't buying it, uh, it can, you know, becomes a bit of a problem itself, right? <laughs> you lose motivation. A lot of people quit mm-hmm. just because they're not seeing the results they want. And, you know, they're, they're just not enjoying it very much. Whereas if you focus on customer value, then the thing that gets you up in the morning, the thing that excites you is just seeing and understanding how much, you know, joy and how much uh, support and, and uh, useful utility that you're bringing into your customers' lives. So every sales call, every customer support call, every new customer, every feature that you build that's boring that you didn't want to have to do, it all motivates you and you know mm-hmm. the things that you hated doing when you were focusing on the problem all of a sudden are this source of motivation and inspiration that keep you wanting to to build the business when you focus on customer value yeah no that that opens up a lot of things in my mind actually like just thinking about sending a cold email i would rephrase it much differently with that sort of thinking you know uh because i i hate cold emailing by the way um and uh some of the reasons i hate it uh, are not really, you know, um, they don't have a, a solid foundation. And I think it comes from me not thinking it um, from a value sort of 
position, like what kind of value I'm giving to you. So in other words, if I were to write somebody unknown today, uh, first thing I would probably say to them, use, like before I used to say, hey, we have this, it does this, it's great, it's better, blah, blah, blah. Like you just don't hear back from anybody. But with that thinking, uh, I would probably write them and say, hey, you know, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how you're managing your projects? I just, I'm really curious. Maybe I can help you. Maybe I can't. Maybe I can uh, recommend to go to a competitor or whatever. Just want to know if I can provide any value to you with what I can do or what I can offer for businesses like yours. I don't know. Like, is that, like, do your students, your, your, um, Students? Can I call them students? I call them founders or participants. I wouldn't say students, okay. but founders, yeah, sure. <laughs> founders is like a little bit more is better. But would they do they go from that sort of point of view? Like, do they go from that uh, position? Um, kind of. So I also don't love like what what you said is definitely a step in the right direction, right? I think that's a okay a better attempt. What I try and again when you're thinking of customer value right you always want to be providing customer value the reward you're providing to a customer has to always uh, to a potential customer has to always seem larger than the risk that they perceive in taking whatever action you want them to take mm -hmm. and so i don't love cold outreach my aim and there are certain situations in which you have to do cold outreach and it's unavoidable and you know you just make the best of it if that's what you have to do but in general most bootstrappers are better thinking of ways in which they can turn cold outreach into warm outreach so mm -hmm. uh you know connecting with people in advance making it seem like there is some connection there already ideally when you get in touch with them to talk about your business for the first time they already know who you are or they've seen you around and they there's mm -hmm. some implicit trust maybe that's because of a warm introduction maybe you've interacted on twitter maybe you've interacted on linkedin or instagram or wherever it is you know, uh, maybe you've just reached out to them before with uh, some feedback or a tip or some words of encouragement or something, uh, but obviously in like an, a non-sketchy way and you, you genuinely sure. know that you can help them. So when you do send them that email uh, saying, and you know, I would start with a very, very, very small uh, ask. So I wouldn't say, you know, in your example of, uh, can you tell me a bit about how you're doing things so that I can point you in the right direction? It's a bit vague and the risk for me is, is slightly larger than the reward in that first step, mm -hmm. right? So I would right. do something, I don't know your business, right? But I would say something, or I don't know too much about it to be able to write the, the cold email for you. Sure, but, sure, sure. But I would, you know, I would go for something smaller. I'd say, hey, look, you know, we know each other. You know that I'm doing some good work and I'm working with people who, you know, are in similar situations to you and who are getting great results. Um, I'm just interested in seeing, you know, I think this could be uh, really useful for you as well. Would you like me to send over something, right? And that something would be maybe a teardown or maybe uh, a case study of someone who's similar or whatever it is. And, you know, that's such a small action for them to take, right? They literally only have mm -hmm. to say yes. And worst case, they get an email full of stuff they don't care about. Best case, they get an email full of stuff that's really useful to them. Now, what you wouldn't then do is just go, great, here is this stuff I've prepared for you, right? What you do is you use that as a chance to start a conversation and to learn about them. So you would reply saying maybe something like, great, you know, I'm just going through now and I'm finding all of this information that's going to be useful to you, or I'm about to do this landing page teardown or something, uh, this onboarding teardown of yours. And I was just thinking, you know, what is your goal here? Or, you know, what's what size team do you have that's doing this what is the main problem you're, you're you know you're struggling with right now and just to make sure i show you something that's useful for you 
and then you get them into the conversation that way. And often you don't actually even have to send them anything <laughs> at all because by the second or third email, they've, they've agreed to get on a call with you or to, to buy whatever you're mm -hmm. selling or whatever it is. Oh, cool. And so that, that is your course basically. Like, well, how do you, you know, that's what you teach founders, right? That is, I would say the mindset is the most important thing. The mm -hmm. outreach, that, that side of stuff is important, but I would say that's maybe, you know, 20, 25% of it. Uh, the big mindset shift that I try and help people to do is, you know, once you actually have someone uh, from that stage, right? So who's interested and is, is, you know, willing to talk to you about your product, uh, how do you turn them from being someone who is cautiously interested, but probably not going to buy into someone who's actually a, a happy paying customer. So uh, that that's more or less the, the bulk of it. That's what founders tend to really struggle with. Yeah, totally. I can, I can get that. And do you mention anywhere in your course that you used to be like a swimming coach, like Olympic swimming coach, or you don't do that? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I took one. <laughs> I like, you know, my respect for you just grew, you know, because I've come from sports <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, you, you've taught like Olympic swimmers. Like, what the hell, man? So <laughs> so that's a, amazing. Oh, thanks. You yeah, then. yeah. <laughs> I oh, will. Cool. Uh, I will do the <laughs> do one of the, uh, the the new videos. I'm preparing a free course at the moment, like sales fundamentals for founders. Uh, it's going to be mm -hmm. kind of 90 minutes of, of very short, actionable videos, just really the basics. Um, oh, wow! And uh, I can I can see if I can slim down and make one of those videos in, uh, in a pair of speedos. See what happens. Yes, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> you get what you paid for. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. a free course. <laughs> that is awesome, man. So. Hey, uh, we, we're going to take like um, a quick question. I know you don't have a lot of time, so maybe we can touch upon a, a question from um, uh, one of my online friends. He replied to both of us a couple of days ago. And then maybe we can uh, talk specifically about your course and then maybe we can call it a day. Uh, yeah, and, and just before we do go. that, you know. Um, yeah, sure. I waffled on for a long time there about what I think and <laughs> why I think that, you know. Does that make sense to you? Do you agree? Is there anywhere that you disagree? Anything you wanted to, to push back on that I didn't understand? You know, uh, what, what do you think of it now? All right, so, oh, you mean from our from our Twitter encounter, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think I think um, Kevin uh, had said it, uh, Kevin or, or Mate, um, one of them said it, uh, that we're, we're disagreeing, I think, on, on semantics. But I think one of the things that I wasn't getting, which I understood what you mean by the idea, is that sort of, you know, the difference between focusing on problems and pains instead of just giving value, which has so, like, it opens up the door to so many other things. Now, when I'm thinking of problem pain, it's sort of like a redundant thing that you have to do every day, which maybe is a crucial pain, really. But again, like, if you're giving value, which I, I mean, that's one of the things I loved about running a service business. I just loved um, helping good clients, clients that respected my work, that paid on time. I just loved giving them so much about their business or whatever I could do, a logo, some web app or something. So coming from that mindset and understanding you, what you mean by that, like that's like an eye opener. So I think that's where we got sort of tangled up, um, you know, that, you know, like you shouldn't focus on the idea, you should focus on value. Like I, I think I think now I get what you were saying. Um, one thing that I would say, uh, it is, is very hard to suggest to uh, new founders, especially some who are uh, just starting out, 
Uh, maybe they have some money on the side. Maybe they're working still, but they want a product that will generate them money maybe uh, soon. Like they're not just toying with it. Like they want something substantial. I would really suggest them to uh, go the route of discovering first. Um, scratching your own itch is good. You can get lucky. And maybe there's a pain for that. But even if you have that idea about scratching your own itch, I would still say just go discover first. Like I've started all my products with scratching my own itch first. And it's very hard to find people afterwards with the same itch. So I would say find the people itching like you. <laughs> you know, maybe that one, I mean, I, I think we covered that a bit as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, mostly I think th this is one of the reasons I wanted to get on the call just to, you know, uh, maybe try to get sort of on the same boat, um, not just be disagreeable because it's so easy to sit on Twitter and just, you know, take a position and then run with it because it's the medium is like really quick and there's so many people following and you just don't know. I don't know. It's just, just different than talking to somebody like live. So I'm glad we got to do this call. And yeah, um, just going through the tweet right now. And I, I'll post this tweet for, for listeners who haven't seen it, like this whole discussion. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, this is great, man. This is great, especially the value part that I really wanted to elaborate on. Like, what do you think about it? Because you posted something about that the other day too. And, uh, you know, like there's, you should focus on value. So that, that makes a lot of sense. But um, let me go to Mate's, um, so Mate Uzoki, I think that's his, his last name, if I'm pronouncing it right. If I'm not, Mate, sorry, man. Uh, so he says, all right, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of uh, what I know of Mate. He's a, of an online friend of mine. Uh, we tweet once in a while. He comes from a service business that is very successful. He is starting or maybe just started or is planning to start on a new SaaS venture. And this is sort of where he's coming from, I think. And his question is this, the part I am particularly interested about are the first steps of the entrepreneurial journey and how to find how to find product market fit. So what do you think about that? Like, I know it's a big subject, but what do you think like somebody like Mate, who's coming from a service business that is successful, that's generating some solid income probably, what is the best way to go into their SaaS entrepreneurial journey and get to more product market fit eventually. Yeah, interesting. It puts me on the spot. I, uh, you know, <laughs> Sorry, I, it's okay. No, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there is a one size fits all answer, right? I don't think there is a best right. way to do things objectively. Uh, I think it all depends on uh, the risk involved in his personal life, and you know what he what he wants as well, like what his goals are. So, I think you know what kind of services business does he run. I'm not really sure. It could be uh, development, I'm thinking, uh, like just products for clients, consultancy type of thing. Right. If, okay. if I get this right, yeah. Right. So what would so, be somebody like, how can they get to be an assessor entrepreneur from that? Yeah, so broadly, I think you have you have two ways of getting into a market, right? You can either be on the very deep end like they are, where they have access to clients who are willing to pay a lot already and where they are already providing value for those clients and they have a good relationship with them and they know how to find more of them, right? So hmm. if it were me, just based on who they are, I would be thinking very carefully about how can I sit down with those clients? How can I understand their business on a very fundamental level and exactly what, you know, 
where they're losing money, where they're saving money, where there's an opportunity for them to make money, and where they just have kind of black holes inside of their balance sheet almost where they don't know <laughs> where the money is going or where it's, you know, what exactly is happening there. And I would, you know, see if I can find a pattern amongst a couple of my clients and talk to them and think about different ways to create some of that value, right? So if you see a space where they're spending a lot of money or they're spending a ridiculous amount of time every month, is there a way that you can reduce that time, uh, you know, with probably with a technology or maybe with, uh, you know, if they want to do a SaaS, then it has to be technology, obviously, but maybe it's coaching or training or something like that as well. I mean, that's just as just as scalable, right? Creating a, a course. Um, so I would think about it that way, you know, really, really understand their businesses and what they have in common, those those clients of his, because he already knows how to, to, to get in front of them. He already has contact with them. He knows how to get more of them. He knows that they're willing to pay him to do stuff and they trust him. So that sounds like the, the perfect starting point to me. Cool. And maybe I know the product market fit is such a, such a huge uh, sort of topic, but um, not how to achieve it because that's very hard to answer probably. But like, what are some of the things somebody in Mata's position can do to, you know, get to that? Like, what are some of the steps in terms of marketing sales or time even or resources? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't ever think about product market fit to be perfectly honest mm, i mean cool. I, I i don't know it, it just isn't something that particularly interests me that much and i haven't seen it i've never been in a situation where i've had to think really hard about product market fit it just hasn't been been something right if you understand your customer you understand the value that they need and you're in contact with them then you're going to sit down and talk to them right and talk about okay well you're losing two thousand dollars a month here with this explicit thing because of these actions that you're taking or not mm -hmm. taking, how can we save you that? And, you know, talk to them about that. And, you know, would you be willing to pay us a hundred dollars a month if we save you that? And if they say no, then something is wrong. You've made a mistake somewhere. And if they say yes, then, you know, the only other question product market fit wise is, okay, well, can I, can I, can I build that? Right. Uh, mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. can I actually do that thing? And when it comes to technology, the answer nearly always is yes, right? There are very few SaaSes that are technically sure. impossible to build. I mean, as a, as a developer, you you kind of know instinctively whether something is possible or not. It may, it may be a lot harder than you think, but you know whether it's possible normally. Yeah, true. No, no, that's very true. Um, yeah, man, this is all good stuff. Um, I mean, I, I, I hope we answered Mate's sort of question. Uh, it's such a broad one. I think your point, Louis, goes... Along, I don't know if you've read April Dunford's book. Uh, obviously, awesome because she sort of doesn't, you know, really believe in that either. So um, that's that's very interesting to hear, like from from a few people. But I never really think about that either. I mean, one way I would think about it is: is there enough is there enough market for my product to fit? Where it's like locked, like a USB sort of thing. Like you just, well, it's locked there. Like this market wants it. And you sort of feel the pull from them, like, oh, they're paying, oh, more people like them wanting that, you know, it's like, oh, that is awesome. I've never had that happen. Uh, if it ever happens to me, I'll believe it. <laughs> but it's like one of the things, it's like Santa. <laughs> so, I mean, does he exist? Yeah, I guess if you see him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, so this is awesome. Uh, one thing that I wanted to um, uh, hear from you is just talk about a little bit about your um 
your course, uh, maybe specifics, if you want to share the pricing or the length of it or anything you want, I think it's, it'll be very hel helpful to, to founders. I'm interested in it. Uh, we've talked about it before. So just, you know, if you can say a few words for that before we, we call it a day. Yeah, you know, I don't think I need to say too much because we, we talked about it quite a lot during the, the episode, oh, cool. unless you're planning on editing those bits out. Um, so, you know, all I would say is if you want to go over it, it's salesforfounders.com. Um, mm -hmm. At the moment, the the old course is still up. So the old pricing mm -hmm. and everything. So don't buy, just put in your email address at the very top, uh, get on the, uh, the wait list. And um, in mid-July, hopefully, I will be releasing a completely free course, which is, like I said, 90 minutes of roughly 90 minutes of very actionable mm -hmm. uh, sales content for people who are basically at that stage where, you know, maybe you have a couple of customers, maybe you don't have anything yet, maybe you have one or 2K in, in revenue, and it's all about working out how to be just good enough at sales to get to, you know, between 5 and 10K in MRR, and it'll be completely free. Then... Uh, you know, people can take that. I want everyone to be able to to use that. And I think, you know, without trying to uh, kind of blow my own horn too much, I think really every founder should invest 60 to 90 minutes just going through that because, I mean, why not? Mm -hmm. Sales is so useful in so many different places. Uh, and if people like that, if they enjoy it, then there's a, a community with some, uh, you know, all the other stuff that you need for sales, right? So not just the, the content knowledge, but the motivation, the accountability, uh, weekly check-ins, uh, mm -hmm. bi-weekly um, group coaching calls and stuff like that that people can sign up for that's paid as well. But uh, get on the free course first, take that. And if you still think that you <laughs> are ready to do some sales, then you can always get the, the paid thing later. And when you say sales, do you mean like actually selling, like talking to somebody that you never met, but also sort of warmed connection? Is that how this takes on that? Yeah, so I differentiate between sales and marketing in the course, and this definitely isn't the way that maybe a business school would teach the difference between sales and marketing, but the way I see it, uh, so for me, marketing is what you do when you have all of the information, right? You have you know all the reasons why someone should buy your product, and you just need to put that information in front of them in the right order to make them buy, right? So the flow of information is from you to the customer. Sales is what you do when you couldn't just put information in front of them and make them buy. You need to learn something from them, right? So uh, that might be, you know, why exactly they want this thing and, uh, or, you know, what object, you don't, you don't understand all the objections that they have yet. So you need to learn from them and ask them questions and they will basically, you know, the information flows from them to you and they teach you how to get them basically to buy this product. And obviously in the very early days, unless you are your own perfect customer or you get very, very, very lucky or your product is just ridiculously, ridiculously simple, then there is no way that you will be able to know enough about your why your customer would buy to do marketing. So that's why we start with sales. And for most people, you know, that's a really good way of learning the information you need to be able to do marketing and you can switch over as, <laughs> as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's a, I mean, that I never thought the, uh, the difference between marketing and sales like that, but that's really something to, I mean, that's very valuable to know, you know, differentiating between the two. Like one is when you have the info, you put it up there for everybody to, to see and you know how they're buying their patterns and everything. And then sales, you're actually sort of pushing, but at the same time learning to maybe update the information that you need to have to put in front of them. So that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if I'm allowed to plug one more thing, I would just mention. Absolutely, since, man. Yeah. Since this is a podcast, <laughs> we're all friends here, man. It doesn't matter. It's anything you want. Well, it's also free, so don't worry. It's just oh, you know wow. people listening are probably yeah they probably like podcasts, so um, we love free. They they should go over to the Sales for Founders podcast as well. It's it's a mix of oh, expert. Cool. It's you know there's some expert interviews like uh, I had Rob Fitzpat- Fitzpatrick on from uh, the Mum Test and, and mm-hmm, a couple of other mm-hmm. really great salespeople and founders. Uh, but we also go through like really in detail through uh, how pretty successful bootstrap founders made their first sales. So, you know, we don't just kind of, I love the Indie Hackers podcast, but obviously in, in the entire, you know, in the 45 minutes they have, they don't have time to go into depth of exactly That's how true, people yeah. made those sales. So we kind of get people back on like Lin Tai and uh, Mark Ferstein and, and, you know, Bed Hall from Wave for a couple of recent guests. And they oh, go wow, through, cool. uh, you know, exactly in, in kind of, uh, very useful but excruciating detail how they made sale number one, 10, 50, and, and so on. Man, I should do more of that. I, I honestly should. Like, I I hide myself behind code and, and updating my website. I, I should get on those things. But yeah, I'll, I'll listen to, the, to, to your show even more. So it's Sales for Founders. That's the name of the show, right? Yeah, so they can just type in Sales for Founders into iTunes or wherever they get their podcasts. Cool. Uh, or you can go to pod.salesforfounders.com and find all of the, the good stuff there as well. Uh, do you have um, a minute for another question? Leslie from our Mega Maker group uh, asked a question. I can read it to you if you have the time. If you don't, that's fine. I have um, nine minutes. Nine minutes. Let's, yeah. let's do this. So I'll, I'll try to read it. It seems very long and I don't know what to cut from it. So I'll just read it the way Leslie wrote it. So she says, um, all right, so she says, actually, I messed up today and was literally just thinking that maybe he could help me. So this is very specific to you, man. So my question is, how do I smoothly go from asking user research to talking about demoing my product? Today, I was emailing some questions back and forth with someone who opted in for the beta. Then after his replies, I felt so strongly that my product could help that I immediately did a screen recording and sent it to him. I think it broke the flow of the conversation and he stopped replying or maybe he just got busy at work. I don't want to assume for sure that it's something I did. I feel I've gotten pretty good at the mom test type use user research questions, but then get a bit stuck at how to smoothly transition them from, hey, I'd love to ask you some questions to those problems seem like something I could solve because it forces them to go from advisor and sharing experiences mode to skeptical consumer mode. And I think it stuns people a bit. Um, so the question is probably up top and the rest is explaining how she got to that question. Yeah, okay, awesome. So I guess the first thing I would want to ask is, you know, she says user research. I imagine that person isn't using the product and maybe she meant kind of customer discovery or like someone who'd signed up for the beta maybe because if they were if they were you yeah. I, I don't quite understand what's happening there but that's a bit unclear to me uh whether they're you know if they're already using the the product then i guess the question is you know you don't have to show them the product necessarily you would just kind of work out a way to transition them to to paying at some point right uh, which is very very difficult um yeah but yeah i, I think I, I, I mean what i'm getting from her which is something that i've done before if if i'm not you know paraphrasing what she's saying but um you know, like you see somebody that's sort of in the mood to buy, very excited, and then you reply with like a you know big mm-hmm. enthusiasm, and maybe you sort of seemed too eager or too desperate. I'm not sure if that's maybe the question, but if that is, if that's it, like how do you? I think her question is like how do you 
Oh, all right. So I get it. All right. So how do we smoothly go from asking users research? So I think she's talking about how do you transition like up to a point you do user research to learn more about people and then you're sort of getting to the point of demoing. Like how how do you transition to that? Like and be more about pushing your product and getting getting a sale. I don't know. I think that's that's what it is. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I don't want to ever focus on just like this one specific user, right? Because sure. one specific user is, is never important, right? It's about what you learn from them for the next thousand users, right? Or the thousand customers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, thinking about this, what strikes me, you know, if you're having to switch or if you feel guilty switching from having a conversation with someone about their, you know, their their user experience or something, their 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 feedback basically you feel guilty switching from that into selling them that's mm-hmm. normally a sign that you probably weren't clear enough with them up front and that you probably know that they weren't ever going to buy in the first place right so if you don't like it's like rob says this in in the mug test right so it's mm-hmm. it's in there this is you know i think pretty common at this point it's just if you talk to someone and you want to get feedback from them. And the idea is that you're trying to find out stuff that's useful for you uh, to help your potential customers or your prospective customers. Well, if that person that you're talking to, you know, if you don't know that they are even in the market for this and that they would potentially at some point down the line even be willing to entertain the idea of buying that product, then you really don't want to waste your time getting their feedback, right? So mm-hmm. you can, at the beginning of that conversation, say, look, you know, all that normal stuff, you've signed up to the wait list. Uh, look, I'm not going to ask you to buy anything today, but at some point down the line, if this is going to provide a lot of value for you, and if we can work out a way to do that, then I am going to ask you, you know, if you want to sign up and if you want to spend some money and you're totally free to say no at that point, but I am going to ask you to do that. And I think, you know, people who would buy at some point anyway are going to be completely fine with that and then it becomes a very easy conversation to switch into to sales mode basically because you're already in sales mm-hmm. mode plus all of the answers you get are framed you know they're not just being nice to you and being kind they're thinking well hang on if i'm going to potentially buy this thing like is this actually the way i want it or not so <laughs> you know mm, you want to be thinking about uh, kind of be in sales mode from from day one basically yeah, and I've done that before. Um, I've emailed somebody. Uh, I've looked at Nathan Berry's, one of the emails he used to send to his clients when he started ConvertKit. And just starting the conversation, hey, you know, I know you use MailChimp. Uh, we're working on something similar but better. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you, I mean, would you just tell me like how you, how you use that or what your pl- problems are, what your frustrations are? And I've done that. And I would get emails from people and it would seem like they're helping me, but they would never buy. And as soon as the point came when I would want to switch to a sales mode, it would all, almost seem like, you know, weird in a way. So maybe finding a way, like you're saying, like to, to sort of make a point that at some point you're going to try to, you know, make a sale. Um, I think that's that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's one big thing. So be very upfront at the beginning that, you know, this is a conversation about if I can help you, then I will right. build a product and I will ask you if you want to use it, right? Like if we if we were to sit down together and I find a way to make you $500, uh, I'm going to ask you to spend 50 on it, something like that. 
exactly. know, if I build it. And you're welcome to say no at that point, but that's fine. And, you know, if you phrase it, you know, not quite as directly as that, but in that right, kind of I way, understand. then, you know, really you just get rid of time wasters. And, and then the second thing is obviously, this is actually getting into more of the bulk of what I talk about when I, you know, try and help people with sales, is that the really big thing that you're trying to do is as soon as you have someone interested or on the phone or even in a conversation with them, what you're really trying to do is to work out what the end happy state is, right? So like way down the line, they are a happy, successful user of your product, paying you and getting value from it. What has to change between now and then for that to happen? And how can you make that the default, right? So you're basically creating a plan and you're let you know you're asking them questions so that they can fill it in and and that's kind of the approach that you want to take right so mm. you, you know you're saying look let's think about this right where we want to be at the moment you know with with mailchimp you're having these problems and these problems and you're not getting this money here and that money there and you know these these emails aren't sending and, and blah and blah um let's say here's where we want to get to this is you know sending these emails and making all this good stuff happen and making all of this money uh, you know, what do we have to do between here and now to get you to that place? You know, on my side, what would I have to develop to make that possible? On your side, what would you have to do? Would you have to talk to your boss? Would you have to, uh, you know, change up something on the email side? Would you have to, uh, you know, spend $30 a month or something? You know, mm -hmm. what is that? Let's put it all down in a timeline that seems realistic. And as soon as you have that plan down, uh, it becomes, you know, it's not inevitable, but the default conclusion is that that plan happens and if they want something else to happen if they don't want to buy anymore then they have to speak up and not do it basically right so the right. the the obvious course like the the default course is that they buy instead of the default course the default outcome being that they don't buy i see yeah that's a very good um way to look at it and i'm definitely going to sign up for the um 90 minute free course where you're swimming <laughs> and talking about swimming coaches i just have to work out how to get my blue yeti into the, into the pool without <laughs> it getting wet yeah yeah so cool man cool 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 i know you have to go uh thanks a lot for being on the show again maybe we can do this again in a couple of months uh when we have maybe more stuff to argue about and then get in agreement <laughs> later on um but yeah i'm, I'm sure this this uh, this show has been very helpful to uh, others who are listening to you know how to think about value and sales and sort of a happy conclusion uh at the end of this whole sales process or discovery process with the client so yeah thanks man thanks a lot for being on the show yeah thanks for having me and anyone who wants to reach out i'm very easy to find on twitter or via email so just send me a message always happy to help awesome man awesome i'll list everything on the show notes and your course and your twitter account so people can find you there but yeah talk to you soon man same. Thanks, Val. Great chatting again. Bye-bye.